0: Cool. Welcome to the Carson Apricorn Show. So today I have a, our first live in-person podcast with Stefan K. Yeah. First time we're meeting in person, actually.
1: Yeah. We've been friends for a year now. Yeah. Internet friends. Yeah. And now we're actually meeting.
0: Yeah. So this will be pretty fun. I think this will be a recurring um, episode where uh, Stefan will come on. He'll represent the younger 20-year-old at <laughs> living in SF in the heart of Silicon Valley. I'll represent the old 40-year-old. And we're basically going to answer two questions. The first question is always, what are the nerds doing at night and on weekends, particularly in SF? And I'll answer the question are, what are old rich people doing now that everyone might be doing 10 years from now? Which is essentially the, I guess, the set of questions from the Tim Ferriss podcast on the origin of good ideas. So we'll always just talk about cool ideas that we find interesting. So the first one is like emergent behavior. What
1: are people doing that seems unusual? but it's starting to pick up and it's becoming a trend more than people realize. And then on the other one, what was that? that what r- are rich, rich people cheap- do? doing now? Yeah. So
0: the basic idea behind that is rich people spend money doing things. Over time, those things become cheaper and become more accessible to everyone else. So a good example of that would be Uber. Yeah. So rich people take private cars and then Uber create an app that allowed you to do that. Yeah, so what are all the nerds doing in SF right now? So, I don't know if
1: all the nerds are doing this in SF right now, but this has been an emerging trend that I've noticed. And so, I think my underlying thesis is we'll have, much like people looked at dating apps in the past and people looked down on people who met via dating apps, but then it became more normalized. In the future, we're going to have AI friends and that's going to be more normalized. And the reason I say this is there's a ton of people doing this There's a ton of people already doing this, and I have a few examples. So one example is a company we invested in called Circle Labs. And what they do is really interesting. They allow people to create AI friends or companions as Discord bots. And if you go into their Discord, it's just thousands and thousands of female, well, young girls and non-binary people between the ages of like 12 and 16. So very young people, and they've created these AI friends that they chat to They ask questions, they crack jokes, and what's even more interesting is that they also invite their friends into these group chats. So they might have a group chat where it's five people. Three of them are AI friends that they've created, and then two of them are them and one of their friends. And so people already doing this, actually conversing to these AI companions as if they're real people, they know they're not right now. And I think that's part of the joy, but I think eventually in the future it'll become something more normalized. And I have a ton of other examples that I can think of that actually support this trend.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of that Black Mirror episode where the, I guess the main character has a, an AI friend toy mm-hmm. and they're interacting with the toy. What What's the culmination of that episode? The
1: AI friend toy becomes evil? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I think this yeah. is a little different from dating though because mm-hmm. the dating was just the stigma around using the internet to find a date. Yeah. The, the goal, I guess the success, if that was successful, then you would get married. Yeah. I'm not sure where this leads to, right? You have an AI friend. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's kind of weird. And then what happens after that? You don't have any real friends. You just have these AI friends that... I think it's not a replacement.
1: I think uh, it's an addition to. So you'll have your normal friends, but you'll also have AI yeah. friends.
0: So I, I have a group chat, and there's always archetypes in the group chat. So you have the Debbie Downer, you know, the person that's always like naysaying saying everything, always looks at the glass half empty. So can you like yeah. create an AI friend that's the Debbie Downer?
1: Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> the whole point. These people have created specific friends huh. that do specific things or behave in certain ways. So someone is like the funny one. Someone's no the way. crazy one. Someone's like the flirty one. And I can see this happening more and more in the future. Another example is Character AI. That's actually a top 200 site in the world. And so people are using this heavily. The average session time, I think, is 30 to 40 minutes. So people are not just coming to the site and then bouncing. They're coming, they're actually spending time with these companions. And you bring, bring up an interesting point, like what actually happens, right? So you have these friends, like what eventually happens? I think right now they're primarily online, but I think they'll transition to offline. Right now they're specific to a specific app, like Character AI or Discord. But there's no reason these friends can't follow you around the internet. And eventually, there's no reason they can't follow you into the real world. Like, mechatronics, all these hardware is going to continue to improve. And I think eventually, we will have
0: companions in the real world, much like the Black Mirror episodes. Yeah, that's that's kind of scary to think about. but I'm still trying to wrap my head around AI friends. Mm-hmm. So it's literally, you just text somebody and they respond? Does that AI friend get smarter the more you chat with them? So what you can do
1: is you can have them retain memory. So they (laughs) remember your interactions over time. One thing I haven't seen done, but I think would make it even more lifelike is if it, instead of you prompting it and you initiating the conversation over time, you're just like, it's Tuesday. Hey, how was your workout this morning? I know you work out on Tuesdays. And so it prompts and reaches
0: out to Uh, you over time. I wouldn't even, I would, I would leave that Unread, or unread. <laughs> I don't even respond to that. Yeah, That's, so it's interesting, right? You, uh, it seems
1: like, so strange and so weird to you,
0: but for other people, this is I, like normal. I would want an AI friend that just finds the best memes mm-hmm. of the day. Be like, hey, this happened in the news, and go find all the great memes and sh- share it in our group chat so that we could all just thumbs up it. Yeah, you can, actu- you <laughs> can actually do that right
1: now. You just have an agent, quote-unquote, that goes and scrapes particular accounts or Twitter under a certain topic, pulls those in, Is integrated into your group chat and just drops it in there. And maybe you add like a personality on top of that using LLM, so AI, to actually give it some sass or actually decide what is a good meme versus what's not. So it's entirely possible to build that right now. The challenge right now is taste. Like, how does it know? How do you prompt it such that it can decide what is a good meme versus what isn't and what's actually funny? But that's definitely going to improve.
0: I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm in a UFC group chat. It would be cool to add, like, Israel Adesanya or John Jones into the group yeah. chat themselves. <laughs> like, hey, who do you think's going to win this weekend?
1: Yeah. And then it's programs on, like, things that they've said in the past, what they would typically say, what's yeah, current yeah, yeah. and trending in the news, and, like, who's up and coming contenders. I so, could see this definitely working, especially
0: yeah. if it's not a replacement but a complementary to what mm-hmm. you're already kind of doing. I think group smaller group chats is going to stay forever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the one thing I'll say to this, too, is I know you mentioned the Black Mirror episode and I mentioned the move from online to offline or in on, digital to in-person. So one thing I'm working on right now are toys that actually have a voice and have a personality. And so this TBD, if kids actually want it, but this could actually become a companion for kids over time. Like, initially, it's just, like, a cool toy that they can chat to, ask questions, it can tell its stories, things like that. But over time, it'll build up, like, memory of their memories, the things that they cared about, the things that happened to them. And it can become their best friend in real life. Right now, it doesn't really have motion in the actual toy, but as hardware improves, it can start to walk around. Like, maybe it has legs or, like, you can move the ears and things like that. So that'll be interesting to see how this goes. And I think a lot of people are going to start working on these types of things now, especially in emerging tech. You want to be early, it seems like, before it happens so that you're positioned in just the right moment, such that once the technology improves, you have a lead on the market and you can take advantage
0: of it. So, yeah. Yeah, that one is it's both interesting and scary as a parent. You know, I think AI friends would be like a good first step for me. Yeah. <laughs> Throw them in my WhatsApp group chat. Yeah. And then the I know the criteria as a parent is just, you know, I'm worried about my kids getting addicted to a game or the mm-hmm. internet. What are they actually saying with yeah. back and forth to each other? What is it they, educational? Are they learning? Yeah. What are so, they saying to it? I yeah. don't want it to
1: say anything malicious yeah. or
0: teach it how to do anything crazy. So I want my daughter to be able to form IRL relationship mm-hmm. with real people and yeah. not get re- reliant on the AI robotic toy yeah. or friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the interesting thing is you can actually
1: program it to help you improve those. So much like you have coaches who or parents who help you improve like your empathy or these traits that actually make who you are, you can actually incu- if you're telling a story or interacting with a child, you can program it to weave in empathy. Or weave in some things that they should be learning. Yeah. So you could so, also
0: weave in AI tutoring too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so.
1: so there are like hard skills, but also soft, soft skills. skills. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that would be interesting. I think for a kid, if they feel like they're like in school, they're mm-hmm. probably not gonna play with the toys. Yeah. Much. So it has
1: to be a combo of both. Yeah. It has to be entertaining and then like slightly educational yeah. too. So have you, do you have an AI friend? Do I have an AI friend? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. I think eventually I probably will. And that's a question I have. It's like, it's currently happening with young people in different parts of the internet have AI friends. Will we have professional ones? Like you mentioned, there's like a Debbie Downer, there's a, someone else in the group chat. Everyone has these distinct archetypes. Will we have professional ones where someone is excellent at using Excel? Someone's great at copywriting. And so you get, much like you have coworkers now you have AI agents or AI companions that can actually do tasks on your behalf. And I think that is probably going to happen pretty soon too.
0: Yeah, I I think it'll be interesting to see within next year if an AI friend gets added to my WhatsApp group chat from me or someone else. Mm -hmm. So I think that, because I I saw that they did add like an AI persona to WhatsApp, but I tried to, to use it for like a few minutes with the guy that sucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's very, it's getting adopted by some people. I wonder what it will take to get mass adoption. And I think it might just be that they're indistinguishable from reality. And the way this works right now is people make friends online without knowing their name, True. what they look like, things like that. This exists in crypto yeah. Twitter. It exists in gaming. It exists in all these different places. I don't think it's unlikely that we'll see people who have made friends with these things not knowing underneath it's just an LLM. It's just an AI that's interacting with it.
0: Yeah, I think it would have to get smarter over time yeah. and get super personalized. Yeah. But now I'm curious. I'm going ch- to look into it and see if I can play around with one. Yeah. Well, let me rephrase that. <laughs> 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 uh, let me see if I can experiment with it and mm-hmm. see if it works. But yeah, let's maybe... talk about, oh, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, let's talk about uh, what are rich people up to? Yeah. So speaking of group chats, I'm in a group chat with a bunch, I guess, of successful tech entrepreneurs and founders. And I would say some of the topics that people talk about are obviously like, how do I sell my family office and taxes? And how do I hire a family assistant? And a lot of conversations around alternative therapy around psychedelics but the number one thing that everyone talks about in every single group whether it's group chat or dm is longevity so one thing i've noticed is there's this whole trend around utilizing the money that you've made to extend your life and the definition of longevity would be how can i live my life the longest in good health to do things i want to do so the goal isn't to you know be sick for 10 to 20 years let's say if you're going to die at 80 Have a great life until you're 79 and a half, and then the last few months (laughs) might be bad, or you just sleep one day and don't wake up. That's it. So, but that's the goal is to have a great life Mm -hmm. with no barriers. Yeah. So, that's like health span and lifespan. Health span and lifespan. So, one thing that people, a lot of people have been doing is going to these longevity clinics, and they've popped up all over the country. And I think it was really popularized with Peter Tia, obviously, Andrew Huberman, with all the research that they're releasing. But Peter T especially, so there's one that I found called Fountain Life. You go there and they give you comprehensive testing labs. About one to two, two to three days, but I went to the website.
1: Okay, okay. So yeah. you go get comprehensive testing. What does, that, what does
0: that cover? Okay, so first, this is their tagline, which I thought was pretty funny. So Fountain Life is like a country club for precision diagnostics. <laughs> I was like, okay.
1: <laughs> okay, so I know it's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah, and
0: it's $20,000 a year. <laughs> Holy, shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, so so people fly there, and they give you all this, you know, there's the four horsemen mm-hmm. that Peter Atia describes of how most people will die. So it's like cancer, heart disease, and, you know, two others. But most people go there, and they give you a full-body brain MRI with AI. So AI is like <laughs> yeah. thrown into everything. The coronary CT with ai bone density scan uh, electrocardiogram low dose lung ct with ai retinal scan so basically they're just giving you a full test mm-hmm. of everything so that's like the comprehensive and then there's it's a lighter version of that that a lot of my friends are doing and this is the cheaper version is just getting your biomarkers tested a lot of my friends are using function health so you get 100 plus biomarkers for 500 bucks And on their website, it says it would cost you 15 grand if you went went at it individually. Mm -hmm. And what people are doing with that information is essentially you can go get your anal physical, you'll get your biomarkers, but those are what doctors have checked forever, you know, for the past 10 or 20 years. With all this new research, there's all these other biomarkers that you can track that are correlated with high risk for heart disease, as an example. And what I've done is I've started to go to a longevity clinic called Bionic Health. So I work with a doctor there. They also use a lot of AI. I don't know how they use it yet. And essentially what they do is they look at all my biomarkers and they come up with a very comprehensive plan mm-hmm. how to reduce certain biomarkers that that are high. So I got my second one done and a lot of the biomarkers around heart disease, I was really focused on getting those down and they did come down, which is interesting.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And so with the one you got a bunch tested, right? And I assume a few of those were out of the normal range. And what does that look like when, so you get them tested, you get the results, and then do they coach you
0: on what to improve, what you can take, what you can do? Yeah, it seems that it's the obvious things, right? Nutrition, exercise, sleep. Mm -hmm. Let's just say those are the standard. No one's going to do those perfectly, right? So I'm not the type of person that's going to sit there and have a 50 checklist of things I need to do every day. But, you know, try to eat healthy, try to get good sleep, exercise, let's say three to five times a week, standard. And then there's all these vitamins I had to take and all these like powders and supplements. And I took them this morning and every, every single time I take it, I feel like I want to throw up. Okay, I think <laughs> that's just like a rite of passage for taking all these vitamins. So was, I did a little bit of research in them, but I was like, Hey, if my doctor's going to prescribe them, it seemed pretty standard. So I've been taking those. And those also, I think had a factor in reducing a lot of the risk. mm mm-hmm. There are also a couple other companies that popped up to serve this need that do personalized vitamins. So one is called Elo, and it's a, they call these seven-layer gummies, and mm-hmm. essentially what they do is they send you these gummies every month, and based on your activity data, so like whatever you're wearing gets sent there, and your latest biomarkers, it updates the gummy to hit all the different vitamins. Because I'm taking like 10 mm-hmm. to 20, and I, I would rather just take 10, one, one little delicious gummy There's another one called Vitamin Lab that also does personalized vitamins, but I think that's going to be a new trend Trend. where rather than taking this like generic multivitamin, it's a very specific personalized vitamins that you can take based on your biomarkers.
1: Yeah. So there are two massive trends here. One is the actual like getting your diagnostics, actually checking. And it sounds like already it's becoming democratized. You mentioned one that's like 15, 20 yeah. grand and the other one's 500 bucks. Yeah. And then also the personalized medicine. Both yes. of those seem pretty interesting.
0: Because I think a few years ago, you would have to fly to the top clinics in the world and get on their list. And now I think what people are looking at is looking at this as a great business opportunity because people always pay a lot of money for their kids, for their pets, and for their own health. And I think there's this whole trend around preventative health, medicine 3.0 and i think this is something that has already accelerated you know it's not in 10 years this the price is going to come down it's a tuck a year yeah i think that i found that pretty fascinating
1: the personalized gummies or personalized vitamins is also pretty interesting as a business cuz think about it how much do vitamins actually cost probably not that much right yeah. also now you have a good business model because it's subscription too yeah
0: so that is pretty interesting i wonder how hard it is to make those though that's yeah. probably so I remember there was probably a company like five years ago or ten years ago that tried to do this and they didn't, it didn't work out because the actual creation of it was so difficult. Yeah. So actually, my girlfriend does this
1: as oh. her role. It's like how hard is it? It's pretty hard because you're trying to package drug. If if you think about it in the drug sense, you're trying to package these different like molecules. They all have different things going yeah. on, and trying to get them into one form factor is extremely difficult. Yeah. That you can, one a form factor that you can ingest easily, and then two making it not taste disgusting is also a huge thing yeah
0: i was pretty skeptical when i saw it yeah yeah i, mean, I was like this seems too good to be true like this delicious like sugar looking gummy that mm-hmm. i could just take but obviously i had to put on my entrepreneur hat and i was like i think this is a great business opportunity because yeah. i was thinking about concierge medicine so concierge medicine i would describe as basically like flying business class to the hospital so i use concierge medicine and Essentially, the, the premise of that is the doctor that you work with works with less patients, but you have to pay a subscription. So it could be one or $200 a month. But it's mostly a replacement for your primary doctor. And if you think about the, the business I got created off, off of that model, which is one, was it one medical group? Yeah. Um, so essentially, they created these cool, modern spaces in all the major cities. And then they sold to Amazon for, I think, close to $4 billion. And they have 200 locations and like 800,000 members. Holy shit. Yeah. And that's just just a primary doctor. Yeah. So imagine if someone created like a longevity clinic Mm -hmm. that was kind of doing all these things where you go in, you get your markers done, you get all your like physical things checked out, maybe mental health where you could even do experimental. Let's say you want to do mushrooms that was doctor assisted. I could see this type of clinic Mm. being a huge hit where you pay $100 to $200 a month. You have a thousand locations around the world. Yeah. I could see that being worth more than one medical group because this is about having a longer, healthier life.
1: Yeah. So another interesting trend that I've noticed is Brian Johnson has completely popularized this with his blueprint diet and like his outlandish things that he does and just taking this to the absolute extreme. But one interesting trend that is related to what are the nerds doing or what emergent behaviors exist is that in SF, A lot of people are trying to follow the Blueprint diet, which is Brian Johnson's diet that helps you, apparently helps you increase your health span or lifespan. And so there are these companies that have popped up that are subscription meal services that are just like the Blueprint diet on demand, because a lot of people in tech don't have the time to cook. They also just don't cook because they can afford to not do that. And so they're just like, yeah, someone else
0: handle it and I'll just consume it. So that's another interesting thing that I've noticed. Yeah, I think what's, what's interesting with that is I think he's very focused on lowering one's biological age. Oh, yeah. So that's like the key focus. And he's spending millions of dollars every year to do that. I think just taking all the research from that and applying it and doing maybe, if you don't want to go the super intense route, here's the twenty eighty. You yeah. Focus yeah. on the 20% of what that blueprint diet is to get 80% of the way there. So I think... More and more research will get released. More and more things will get created. And I think in five to 10 years, I, we will start seeing these longevity clinics.
1: With the group chat, and you guys are all talking about health and diagnostics, what are some things that you wish you had gotten checked earlier? Or people in the group chat, actually, what do they wish they had known earlier?
0: It seems for men, and I guess the group chat side, I'm in most men that I chat with, are all worried about heart disease. that seems to be like the number one factor. And I wish I got all those biomarkers checked much, much sooner. So it's like these acronyms like LP little a, um, A APOB, getting your CT like calcium score. So all these things, I wish I would have just gotten checked a little bit earlier because there are a lot of things that you could start doing much earlier to prevent that. And I also realized that it's also genetic too. So when you go to the doctor, they say, hey, do you have any... Family history of cancer or liver disease or high blood pressure or type 2 diabetes because if it's present in your family, especially with your parents, you also have a high likelihood of being exposed to that too. So I think just those two things, really understanding what's going on with my parents Mm -hmm. and the family tree and then getting my test done early so I could just know what I have higher risk for. But I think once you start approaching 40 and 50 is when it starts really mattering. But there's nothing wrong with starting to do a lot of those things earlier. Yeah. But when I was 20, like a lot of this information was not on the internet. or yeah. publicly available. So I'm glad it is now. Do people care much about like testosterone levels? That's the second one. So I'm still doing deep dives in heart disease. But you know, in the group chat, people are sharing their scores. Yeah. They're sharing like, oh, I've, here's my score. I've tried this diet and the score went down interesting or my testosterone score is this i tried this out there therapy and it's through the roof i have way more energy and mm-hmm. uh, so those two those are the two things is your heart disease score and your testosterone score mm-hmm. yeah another thing that uh, some
1: people in sf are doing
0: and probably high
1: correlation or like high overlap between the people doing the blueprint diet are people that are doing like these tea parties which are testosterone parties what is Is it just
0: like a bunch of dudes in a room? A bunch of dudes in a room getting their blood tests or their testosterone tests. (laughs) No, this sounds like a scene out of Silicon Valley, The shit cannot be true. It is true. So they get like a nurse to come over and everyone's just getting like... Yeah. Are they getting the results immediately?
1: I don't think so. I don't think you can get your results immediately, but they do that. And I think they do like an ice bath or something else. A little strange, a little out there, but I think it's kind of like social pressures When you're there, there's social pressure because you also want to have, like, high testosterone levels, obviously. Yeah, yeah. And then I think, yeah, they just want to improve them over time. Because there's been a lot of talk about microplastics and all these other things. Yes. Working at a desk, being sedentary, all these things leading to lower testosterone. And I think I've seen some trend lines that have shown, like, massive drops in testosterone levels over
0: time, especially for the younger generations, uh, like my generation. So, Yeah. That's probably the one thing that I've heard consistently, which is once my testosterone levels started going up, I started to feel much, much better because I've had friends I've done everything. They get on the right diet. They work out all the time. They get the right sleep, but they're like, I still don't feel great. And then once they got their testosterone levels back up, you know, the sun's a little bit brighter today. I have way more energy. And that seems to have been the one thing. Mm -hmm. But for me, like I don't like taking medicine unless I have to. I don't like injecting all this stuff unless I have to. So it's been, you know, usually going to that level is, for me, always going to be the last resort. Yeah. yeah. One thing I have a question
1: about is, if you're ambitious, you're probably working really hard. And it seems like one thing that's correlated with lower testosterone is high stress. Yes. But you've been a founder. I'm in San Francisco right now, also starting a company. And so you're working a lot. It's high stress. How do you think about that?
0: Well, I think some stress is definitely good. Yeah. I think it's just realizing right. that most things just don't matter. If I think about all the things that stress me out, like ninety-nine percent of them at the end of the day just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. If I have few decisions per year that matter for your company, there are very few things that are gonna kill your company, but it's hard when you hear that to do it. You yeah, know? like I heard that when I was running. I was like, No, you don't understand what we're going through, et cetera, and you just be stressed out and mm-hmm. have a lot of anxiety. So
1: so. I don't know the right answer because yeah. I
0: didn't obviously do that, <laughs> <Yeah>. that successfully. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the other end of it now. Yeah. I obviously have trust, but there's nothing compared to starting a company or running yeah. a company. But um, sounds- I think the other trend yeah. that a lot of people have been talking about is where to live, mm-hmm. especially with COVID and people moving all around the country and then moving back to... But I think people are becoming a lot more aware of choosing where to live. So I was kind of curious, what what are you seeing within that?
1: So in San Francisco, there is this pl- group called The Neighborhood, and it's a bunch of people that are all trying to live close to each other. So not in the same building, but in the same neighborhood or in the same three neighborhoods that are kind of interconnected. And they're all trying to buy houses in the area. And I think the realization is that community matters for long-term happiness. And so just being around friends dramatically increases their quality of life. And so people are making a concerted effort to actually live together. And I think this is definitely true because I've lived in a bunch of places. And the thing that's actually mattered to my enjoyment of the place is it's a very specific thing, which is number of people I've met in the first couple of weeks. But the reason that matters is because it's correlated with the number of friends that you have. And that dramatic. You could be anywhere in the world, but if you have a group of friends or multiple friends that are close to you and you can interact with them on a frequent basis, that actually matters a lot. So that's a one trend that I'm seeing and that I've also experienced in my life.
0: Yeah. So I read this article in Atlantic about someone that wrote about living really close to your friends. And one of the stats they said was living within a mile of your friends can increase happiness by 25%. I mean, I don't know how they would quantify (laughs) happiness, but conceptually, I think that Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. I think what happens is obviously when I lived in New York in my 20s, you have a lot of friends and everyone's single or they're dating and they're working hard and everyone's super excited because they just moved to a new city and they're getting the career started. But essentially what happens is you get married, you have kids, you move to the suburbs because you want more space and everyone kind of falls off the grid. And I think the reason for that is because you get busy obviously, but I think what society would say was valuable was the idea of having a nuclear family, you know, prioritizing your marriage, prioritizing your kids, and then buying your dream home. Most of those homes are like wherever in the suburbs, really far from people and safe area with good schools and things like that. So when people start prioritizing that, I think people started moving away from their friends and then trying to make friends with other people in the neighborhood or or schools. And I think there's going to be a counter trend because I've started seeing that too where I have friends in Austin where they're very similarly trying to live on the same block because they want to be really really close close. to each other. So as soon as a house goes for sale, they buy it or they always tell their neighbors if you're moving a lot of snow. Also, other friends are buying like huge plots of land because they want to be further away from the city and they're building their houses on Uh, the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like One of the homes would be like the central place. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about that is because There's obviously benefits for living your family, but your family is not like your friends. Yeah. You know, because I don't know about you, but I don't want to hang off my family like 247. But my friends, it would be kind of interesting because I needed them to watch our our kids or or my daughter for an hour because I need to do something or pick up our mail, or I could just shoot them a text like, hey, I'm going for a walk. Do you want to join? There's something nice about spontaneous nature of that Mm -hmm. that would make. Living that neighborhood super enjoyable.
1: Yeah, and then you have these random interactions, the serendipitous interactions. You're going to the shop, or you're just yeah. walking down the street, you bump into someone, you see them for five minutes, but it like totally changes your day. You just small talk, you just catch up. It lasts a fraction of yeah,
0: last five minutes, but it still dramatically improves yeah. your day. So I think in order, for, so I was thinking about this a lot, and I think in order for this to work, you would have to prioritize community and friendship either above or at the same level that you prioritize your family i would say maybe friends is like in that dynamic it is probably in your top three so and that means if you do that you would have to deprioritize a lot of things So i think you would have to deprioritize like your job ambition the status that comes with it the idea of home ownership because yeah. maybe if you want to live in a certain area on a certain block or a certain neighborhood you might not get that house, house. that you want but you get that proximity to your friends Wealth accumulation, because if you want to move somewhere, you might not have the shop opportunities that you have. Hopefully, you can work remotely. An exciting city. Yeah. You know, it's like everyone wants to live in New York, but it's so expensive. And I would even argue that having a family in New York is not ideal. Yeah. Um, and you would have to deprioritize those things and to be able to see your friends, your best friends, pretty easily, mm-hmm. casually, consistently, all of the time. Yeah. And I, I was thinking, I mean, if I lived on a block and I had all my best friends on that block from all over the world, I think that would be pretty amazing. Yeah, that would be pretty sick. So I actually think the trend that I've started to see
1: now, and I think we're lucky because we're in this space, is that people make their money first. They have enough money to buy the house, and then they try and buy their houses close to their friends and then say, hey, we're planning to have children now, and then their friends try and coincide that with them. So they have children at the same time so they can grow up together. That I think is pretty sick.
0: With my group of friends from New York, we all had kids within the, the, a year or two years from each other. So all of our kids are the same age. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was why that happened, yeah. but yeah, it was a very similar dynamic where the first person had a kid and then everyone started to have kids. And then before that, first person got married and then everyone started getting married like in succession. So there's also the biological clock too. You know, yeah. you can't wait forever. forever. Yeah.
1: yeah. How else? Well, so now you live in the South. How did you decide to move down here?
0: That was just by accident because it was COVID. But I think for most people, I would definitely not choose a big city. I would not want to live in a major city unless it's really important to you. But I also wouldn't move in the middle of nowhere. Like I wouldn't move into this rural area with 100 acres where you have to drive an hour to go get your groceries. I think a good middle ground is probably like a tier two city and living 20 minutes outside of it so let's see i'm just going to pick a city let's say nashville so let's say you live in nashville i've never been there but let's say that was a great city you have a lot of friends that are in the area i would pick a neighborhood like 20 minutes outside of it and i would make sure it checks off whatever boxes you have and i would just try to get as many of your friends to move into a very very specific i think the closer your friends live the better yeah you know if you did this in like new york Ideally, you would split like a brownstone with your friends. Yeah, you know, maybe you live on the top floor and your friend's family lives on the bottom floor, mm-hmm. and you know that's as cl- I mean that's as close as you can get. Yeah. So, but I think proximity matters because if you live in a neighborhood and your friends live maybe a few blocks away, it's not the same. You know, you're yeah. close, but you're not going to get that like convenience.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I actively thought about when moving to San Francisco, and I also told my girlfriend to do is try and find a way to maximize the frequency of interactions with people that you want to be around. Yeah. So on purpose, both of us moved into houses with multiple people. She lives in a, like a Victorian mansion with 10 other people, which is now her core friend group. I live with five other people, also really close to me. So I think maximizing frequency of interactions, because that actually leads to stronger relationships, I think is yeah. massively underrated.
0: Yeah, I think what's unique about that is What's worked about that is very intentional. Yeah. So there's all these community neighborhoods that are popping up that try to recreate that where you bump into strangers. I don't think that's going to work as well because you don't know if the people that are moving in share the same values. You don't know if they have the same interests as you. Yeah. So making sure that those things are very aligned and being very intentional about it. Mm-hmm. I but I still think it would be cool to buy 10 acres and split, split those up yeah. and then have all your friends <laughs> Yeah. Their... What happens
1: when you have beef, though, right? <laughs> when there's some, someone falls out with someone else. Yeah. You know? That's in yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think if you live in a neighborhood, then it's fine because there's yeah. other people. But if you're in the same plot of land and it's just your houses, I think that could be challenging.
0: That, that's probably too extreme. Yeah. yeah.
1: One of the reasons this I wanted to talk about this topic is you might have seen the Wait But Why post about time. Yes. And spending time with your family. With your parents, you spend, I think, 80 to 90% of your time with your parents before the age of 18, because after that, you see them very rarely. And so that also made me think about potentially living close to family. I don't, I'm not super close with my siblings or my parents, but even just being around my uncles, my aunts, my cousins, most of them live in the UK. And so it's like trying to square all the friends that I've made over the past six years here, but then my family that's in the UK and then scattered across Africa and Australia. So that was one of the reasons, or one of the things that I've been thinking about.
0: Yeah. Essentially, what happens is that you live close to your wife's family. That's essentially what happens. Yes. <laughs> or the parents move close to wherever you live. Mm-hmm. I've started seeing that happening a lot yeah. too. And you start create, you know, I have a lot of friends from when I lived in New York, but I made a lot of friends from, you know, where we moved to as well. So, yeah, you just start developing and creating new friendships. But how do you make friends as an adult when you like
1: once you have a family? So it's all through one. your kids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So their school. Um, you just go to the playground, and you see like another cool parent. You just like I mean, it's so easy. It's yeah. like, how Hold your daughter. How Hold oh. your son. And you start talking <laughs> and then you exchange phone numbers mm-hmm. and you organize play dates. Okay. But I always viewed it as like I have friend groups that are very specific to our family. And I have friend groups very specific to my interests. And those are all over the world. Mm-hmm. That's where all the chat groups come in. So I think as long as you have a good combination of both, because if you move out of a city, you're not going to have that density of really interesting people clustered in a very small area. Mm-hmm. So I find having both pretty, pretty, pretty fun. Yeah. So I think that... this will be a good trend. Yeah. I mean, I what what I wish could happen is you know there's developers that come in and build like these huge tract homes that mm-hmm. like all look formulaic. I just would want someone to do that and just create beautiful skinny evening homes and then get allow me and my friends have first dibs on like all ten of them <laughs> Yeah I think that'd be pretty cool
1: Yeah uh, so I live in a national park in San Francisco called Fort Mason and we have a house and now because it's a beautiful area it's walkable it's isolated from everything else it's on the water I'm trying to get my friends to move in so whenever a new house opens cuz it they're pretty they go pretty quickly whenever a new house opens i'm trying to get people to move in there yeah. and then slowly slowly take over this neighborhood
0: yeah and i've heard of groups that when they start doing that they start organizing more community events so they'll have like a dinner every week like every mm-hmm. sunday every friday or saturday where rotate who cooks and anyone can join that's part of the community and they, you know then you could even make it more formalized where you can yeah, you know, pay dues yeah. Like and then create a homeowners. You know, the friend friend owners association. Yeah. But I, I think that's gonna be a bigger and bigger trend. So rather than you know, creating like a commune in the middle of nowhere, yeah. I think these will start moving into cities. And it was like how people operated for mm-hmm. the entire entirety of time. So we're just going back to it. it's already worked. But- yeah. We already have something like that. We have yoga, like communal
1: yoga yeah. outside our house. And we host, like, barbecues and things yeah, like this that.
0: This is the we live, you know, like the oh, Actually, yeah. <laughs> we work. Oh, yeah. Create like community yoga rooms and free coffee and things yeah. like that. But, yeah. yeah, so I think that was pretty cool. I think that's probably a good place to stop. Yeah. We talked about, it. I mean, it sounds like a lot of friends, yeah. AI friends, your friends in your community, and live longer so you can enjoy your time with your friends. So yeah. that was pretty interesting. Yeah, thanks so,
1: for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Of course. Oh, the last thing I will say, if you want to find me online, at SAF1K on Twitter, S-A-F-W-A-A-N-K-A-Y. And I have an AI podcast called Attention Heads. So just search Attention Heads on YouTube. And if you're a founder, apply to Founders Inc. We invest in early stage emerging tech companies in San Francisco.
0: Thanks. Thank you.